Well, today, um, the message I want to bring is, um, has been one that's kind of been developing over the last three weeks, and I'm going to, I'll give you some, some background and history on why that is and what it is. Um, this has been a very emotional week for me, uh, so I'm going to try not to have moments of breaking down, not because it's a bad week. Um, it started bad. It's ended better. Um, I've, uh, you know, as I've prayed and contended for my friend and partner in ministry, Eric, um, it's just been a very emotional week, and we had our leadership retreat, and, and it was very powerful, and there was a, a lot of amazing things that happened. There's a spirit of repentance that I, I pray is going to permeate this room today, um, and so, um, I had to write this message in like two days, and that's not normally what I like to do. So um, if it's discombobulated tough, that's just the way it's going to come out. Um, but uh, it's, it's going to feel heavy, but it's, it's not going to be heavy, you know, in a, I, I, I hope we can receive and understand this in the true context of how I'm trying to bring it today, because uh, three weeks ago, um, in our staff meeting, we do our staff meeting on Mondays, and three weeks ago in our staff meeting, Eric and I, were um, we were together, um, and we were discussing some of the problems that we're facing um, in the church, the specifically the, the, some of the problems and issues that people are experiencing and going through. And just so you know that as elders, who's, who I am and who Eric is, as overseers, um, it is our job to watch over the souls of the people of this church. Yes. It is our job. It is in the Bible. I'm not going to quote it to you, but it is our job to watch over the people that God has entrusted to us. Just, just like a shepherd who looks over his sheep, and takes care of them, we are commanded by God to care for your souls. And so we talk about the care that needs to happen. And as we discussed a lot of the problems that people are facing, um, I'll be honest, and Eric would be too, we were getting a little disheartened. We were really hurting. Our hearts were really hurting. Heart, Eric's heart was hurting as we were contemplating uh, some of the very painful experiences that people were going through. And one of the reasons kind of that was disheartening was, um, for those of you who may not know, back in 2007, um, really 2006, we, we had this kind of revelation from the Lord. We realized that people were not living out their destinies. We uh, realized that <clears throat> we had a lot of vision, lots of vision, lots of prophetic words, lots of direction from God in, in, in the way we should be going as a church, but we had people who were not participating people who were not supporting the mission of our church. And so we, we realized that probably the biggest reason that, that this was happening, that people weren't living very powerfully lives, very powerful lives, was because of the deep bondage that we can be in. Bondage in our finances, bondage in our marriages, bondage in our physical health, Bondage in our parenting skills, you know, bondage in our work ethic and how we conduct business. And so I did a teaching that during this time about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Is anyone familiar with that? Um, if you're not, I'm going to give you a, just a brief understanding of what that is. And basically, <clears throat> Maslow's hierarchy of needs came from a paper written by Abraham Maslow. And it was a paper titled, The Theory of Human Motivation. And basically, it states that 
um, as humans, we have needs, and they are, some are more base than others, more necessary, and as um, a lower level of human need, it has to be satisfied or fulfilled before a person can move to the next kind of plateau of need being met. Now, it's been modified in recent years by, you know, scholars. They tend to think that um, the different levels are more continuously overlapping each other. Um, But it means basically that the lower levels will always take precedence over the next level that's built upon it. And so the the theory is represented by a pyramid. And if you guys would throw that slide up there for me. It's, it's represented by a pyramid into levels. And so the first level is what we call physiological needs. And this includes things like water, food, sleep, shelter, and yes, sex. Basic need. Which is probably why so many of us might be in despair right now. <laughs> but that's a different message. That's a different message. It's a... A married adults only message, we'll go there. But needless to say, Maslow says. So the next level is called a safety need. And in that we need things like protection from the elements, security, uh, sense of order. We need you know, law, we need stability. Basically we need freedom from fear. And then next level we have what is called the love and social belonging needs. That everyone has. Things like friendship, intimacy, a sense of family, whether it's a, you know, a nuclear one or otherwise. Uh, basically, it's a feeling of belongingness. It is a need we have. And after that, then we have what they call esteem needs, where it's things like you're earning respect, you have self-respect, you're achieving a sense of status. You know, and we know that can be negative, it can be very egotistical, but we still have this need for recognition, like there's something great, there's something valuable about me that I just don't have it just for myself. It starts with myself, but I experience it with those around me. And then the final tier is what they call self-actualization. And this basically is the desire and pursuit to become the very most a person can become. It's, it's this desire to fully realize all of God's potential that I am in this world. So, we realized that because people's needs were not being fulfilled, either due to ignorance, which is simply, I just don't know what to do, or sinful bondage, I've been doing the wrong thing. We realized we had to do something. And so in 2007, we launched what we call the Freedom Campaign. And we went on this path of trying to find the very best faith-based, biblically-based resources to help people get free. And so we started with financial peace. We started with financial peace. We had 107 people come through that first course that we did here. People from our city, other churches came. 107 people went through that first class. We ended up paying off in 13 weeks. I think it was almost a quarter of a million dollars in debt. Because people started getting radical with their business debt, their personal debt. It was amazing. So we started with financial peace. And then after that, uh, we did the Great Physician's Prescription for Health and Wellness. It's the Jordan Rubin stuff, the Maker's Diet. And it was uh, the first introduction to health and organic eating that most people in our church had ever even heard of. I mean, we had, you know, I won't name names, but some people thought high C was a fruit drink. Oh, some of you still feel that way. Okay. (laughs) We're going to reboot that class the next semester. 
<laughs> so it was an introduction that, that says, listen, we got a temple that needs to be fit for the Lord. And, and people can't do stuff. They can't show up. They can't do ministry. They can't do their destiny because they're sick. They're too, we're, we're overweight. We're tired. We're, we, can't, we can't even physically get into the game. And so that's why we launched that. In fact, Michelle and I, we, um, it's a, it was a seven-week uh, program that we did, and Michelle and I did it religiously, every detail just about. And as the program started, you know, she and I, we started as a part of the program working out at the YMCA, got a, a membership. And because of, we were following this, this plan of how to eat right and eat healthier and exercise and we got such great results from this program that the YMCA did an article on us. And they featured us in their monthly newsletter talking about how we got the results that we got. And guess what I got to do? I talked about we ate the Bible way. We did it God's way. Yes, we came and worked out. Can't get away from that. But what happened was because of God's plan that's already in his book. It was an amazing opportunity. We told them that eating and exercising the way the Bible tells us to, and they printed it. So after that, we did Love and Respect Marriage Course. After that, we did Growing Kids God's Way, a parenting course on how to help parent do better. Then after that, we did Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We did our very best to try to equip and heal people from everything that we could think of to help move them up a hierarchy of needs. And we had a lot of breakthroughs. We had a lot of healing happening. A lot of amazing things got started in people's lives. People were able to, be, to stop being consumed with themselves, consumed with their own personal problems, and they were able to get busy with kingdom mission. We did a lot of training and equipping for emotional healing. And still to this day, we're doing that. People cannot flourish in life when they have demonic oppression and emotional hangups wrecking their life. I've been doing this for over 20 years. I see it. You're not the exception. There aren't any. We are all a part of the human condition. So Eric and I, we were three weeks ago remembering our past and observing the hardships and the trials and the suffering people are going through recently. And it got us disheartened. And it was, again, because, and, and, and a lot of it, you know, just to be... We just couldn't understand why people are not reaching out and getting the help they need. I mean, I can honestly say, because I, I meet with leaders at other churches in the region, other ministry leaders, pastors, and I can honestly say that this church has more avenues and opportunities to get help in practically every area of life than most churches in the region. I mean, I'm not just, this isn't, you know, me bragging about my church. I'm talking to people who are asking me, what do you do? Hey, what do you, what have you, well, well we, we've done this and we've trained. What? You guys do that? That's so awesome. How's that going? I have leaders and pastors who come to me and they ask, so what's up with this? How's that going? I heard you were doing this training. I heard you did this equipping. I heard you did this thing. How's it all going? Well, people are getting free. I mean, we in this church, we've got trained budget coaches, like formally trained, been through classes and stuff to help people get on a budget. We have ministry to heal marriages. Completely dedicated to that. We've got emotional and spiritual healing and deliverance ministry like no other church. We've got certified love and logic parenting facilitators that can help with parenting skills. 
We have more health and wellness-minded people, (laughs) crunchy lifestyle people in this church than a tree-hugging New Age festival. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And so we're, you know, we know this, Eric and I know this, and we're thinking about this, and our our hearts are aching as we watch faithful people pull away from our church. As we watch people pull away from relationships. Even pull away from God. So needless to say, it wasn't one of our most stellar staff meetings. So after meeting, after that meeting three weeks ago, I was driving home and I was still kind of complaining to God a bit. And I, I said, I don't know what else to do, God. I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to convince people to get help. I don't know what is going on. What is the problem, God? So I went on with my day and I finished all the rest of my meetings and church work and I'm just sitting at home and I'm still thinking about all of this. And again, I asked God, I said, what's the problem? What's the problem? And as I sat in silence, I, I heard the Lord say, you are under severe and massive attack. People, and this is, again, this is what I felt, I I heard the Lord say, he said, people think that their brothers and sisters in Christ are their enemy. They're not. People think that I'm against them, and I am not. There is only one true enemy, and he and his kingdom are the only enemy. You are under attack. And when I heard the Lord say that, it was like a switch went off in my head. I suddenly could see things clearer. And then the Lord began to take me through the last six to eight months of our church. And he started to remind me that he had warned us about the enemy coming to steal from us through distractions. He said, I warned you. I warned this house. I told you it was coming. Then he reminded me how we have been faithfully preaching this message about the fear of the Lord and how that we have to live and make decisions through the fear of the Lord. And then he reminded me that we were looking for breakthrough in the fall. Here we are in the fall. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say in my spirit that when God delivers a message to his people, the enemy is always going to come and test that message. The The enemy wants to know if we believe what God has said. You know, an amazing example of this is in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus went into the desert to fast. And just before Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, we have this scene at the Jordan River uh, where Jesus is just baptized by John. When Jesus, Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove and rests on him. And then we hear that the Father said this thing in Matthew 3, verse 16. Go ahead and put that up. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus had just heard a word. He would received a word from heaven, and now he's being led into the wilderness. 
to be tested by the enemy on what he just heard. So over the next few days, I was th- I've been thinking about that as God downloaded those things. And as I thought about it and sought the Lord more, I, I felt like God revealed a scripture to me that I believe is right where we are at as a church in this season. It's in Luke 22, chapter 22. Now, I'll give you the kind of the big picture of this, this section of Scripture. In Luke 22, um, starting in verse 14, we have Jesus instituting the Last Supper. He's with the disciples, and they're doing the, the, the you know, this is the new covenant of my blood and my body. And then right after that section of Scripture, we have verse 24, and, and this dispute breaks out among the disciples about who is the greatest in the club. And then in verse 31, we have Jesus warning the disciples what's about to happen. And I believe that is what is happening right now in the lives of people. So I'm going to read starting in verse 31. Verse 31, Luke 22, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, The rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. I believe that right now as a church, we are in a moment of sifting by the enemy. I believe that we have been warned about the enemy. God has called us to the fear of the Lord. And now is our time of testing. We are being sifted like wheat. I believe our marriages in this house are being sifted. I believe our relationships are being sifted. Our faith and our faithfulness is being sifted. Our fear of the Lord is being sifted right now. We are being sifted to find out what we are made of. So I think there's some important things that we need to learn from this passage. The first thing I want to recognize is that when Jesus starts and he says what he says, he, Jesus calls Peter Simon. Now, Simon was Peter's name before he had the revelation of who Jesus was. Peter was his new name based on his new identity in Christ. You know, when I think of Peter calling, or when I think of Jesus calling Peter Simon, in this passage, it kind of reminds me, it makes me feel kind of like, you know, when a mom calls her child by their first and middle name, <laughs> Thomas Benjamin, you better listen. Uh-oh. You know, because we all know that's our I'm in trouble name. <clears throat> and so what I think was happening was Jesus was identifying, calling out Peter's carnal and fleshly side. Jesus was letting Peter know that he was about to act out in his flesh. That this sifting was actually, it was going to bring out the worst of Peter, not the best. You know, sometimes I think we don't know how ugly we can be until ugly things start touching our lives. 
You know, it's true that we are born again. We are saved. We are destined for heaven. But while we are still on this earth, we are st- we, we, there is still a command to carry our cross and die every single day. And so the ugliness of sin, it is crouching at our door. I mean, Genesis 4-7 says it. Sin is sitting at our door. It's waiting out there like a bad friend that won't go away. Just waiting for you to come out. Or open the door enough to let it in. It wants to have us. Kind of like Satan wants to have Peter in this passage. It wants to have us, but we've got to rule over it. And so Jesus, I think, is calling out Peter's sinful weaknesses. And I think in our time of sifting, it's calling out our sinful weaknesses. Our tendencies to be ugly. All the parts of us that Jesus died to get rid of. And so after he, he calls Simon out, he says, he makes this statement, he says, Simon, he goes, Satan has demanded to have you. Now there are some very interesting words in that little sentence. First of all, the word you, Satan has demanded to have you, is the plural form of the word. So, really, what Jesus was saying was to the whole group of disciples. He's basically, it would be like saying, Alger, Satan has desired to have you. He's speaking to the entire room. He's not just singling out Peter and his weakness. He used his name to get everyone's attention. But he's talking to the whole room. Satan is demanded to have you. Jesus was telling the whole room that Satan has targeted everyone for sifting. And that those words, demanded to have, is this Greek word, exiatio. And what that word means, it means to demand something and obtain an affirmative response. I'll say that again. It means to demand something and obtain an affirmative response. In other words, Satan demanded to have access to all the disciples, and he got what he asked for. Now, I know this doesn't fit our feel-good gospel, but this is in the Bible. And this isn't the first time that this has even happened. I mean, it's, it's, it shouldn't come as a surprise. In fact, we've got a whole book in <clears throat> the Old Testament devoted to this thing happening to someone else, to this kind of demand. It's the book of Job. Anybody remember that? Now, I'm not going to discuss it very much, but I do want to look at this encounter between the Lord and Satan when it came to Job. Starting in chapter 1, verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan asked to have access to Job, 
to see what Job was really made of. Satan wanted to show God and Job how ugly Job could get if his life started falling apart. If his life started falling into shambles. And God granted him access to sift him. So we've got this thing, this principle. It's in the Old Testament, and now we've got it in the New Testament, that God will allow the enemy to sift us, to test what we're made of, to find out what do we know, what do we have, what do we possess. And as we've already read, this request was not just aimed at Peter, so we can't just say, oh, well, there was this one special thing for one special guy in one special moment and one special time of history. He said it to the whole, all the disciples. It was aimed at all of them. And guess what? We're no exception. T- trials and testing are going to happen in this life. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Peter. It happened to Paul. It even happened to James. James said this in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God allows the testing. He he lets it happen. Now, let's move on to the next phrase. It says that he might sift you like wheat. Now, this phrase is speaking of a severe trial or testing. That's what that means. This isn't, well, you're going to stub your toe on your way out the door and you're, you're going to try and not say a cuss word. I mean, that's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about severe trial, a severe testing that's coming. Peter, or rather Simon, Saints, you're about to go through a hellish night. Now, in the ancient days, when wheat was harvested, they would put it into baskets. And they would toss it around and flip the wheat into the air. And so the wheat kernels have this covering on them. They called it chaff. And as the wheat was shaken in the basket, the husk or the shaft would fall off. And then when they would toss it in the air, the air would blow away the chaff, and then they just would have the wheat kernel in, in the basket. So that's how, they, that's how they got all of that out. The wheat would go in the air, chaff fly away, nothing but lee- wheat is left behind. So Satan's agenda was to shake and toss all the disciples through this hellish night with the hopes of finding No wheat. These guys are just chaff. There's nothing. There's no substance in them. See, Satan, his his agenda, his desire was to see all the disciples fly away like chaff. Just like he did with Judas. Or was about to do with Judas. See, Judas was sifted by Satan and Judas lost. Judas had no real personal revelation, no real connection with Jesus, apart from Judas' own selfish desires and agenda. So when Satan comes to sift a church, a region, the people of that church, the people of that region, he wants to prove that we have no substance. He wants to prove there's no wheat here. He wants to prove to God that when the going gets tough and life gets hard, our faith is going to fail. But Peter thought he was better than that. You know, remember that just before Jesus, you know, gives this warning about sifting, you know, all we this in the story all the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest among them. You know, there's a lot of chest beating and machismo kind of, you know, yeah, it's me, I'm, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, uh, you know. 
I mean, honestly, it was really just a room full of pride and self-promotion. Opinions of self were now exceeding the actual character in these disciples. And Simon, or Peter, he still believes he's bigger than even the words of his Messiah. You know, I mean, think about it. How much overconfidence, how much pride, how much self-reliance does a person really have to have to, to hear Jesus say what he says and tell him he's wrong? Right? I mean, in Luke 22, verse 33, Peter says to the Lord, he says, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now, I don't doubt that Peter was sincere at all. I believe he loved Jesus deeply. But the fact that he's still correcting the Lord and the things the Lord has said. I mean, this wasn't the first time. You remember back in in Mark 8, 29, when Jesus asked Peter, he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. Remember that? That was the moment Simon's name got changed to Peter by Jesus. And right after that glorious moment, Jesus teaches, then he teaches the disciples that he's got to be rejected and he's got to be killed by the elders and the chief priests. And here comes Peter. Hey, I'm full of right answers tonight. Full of pride and self-confidence, he rebukes Jesus. And he says, never, that's never going to happen. I mean, he just doesn't learn. I don't think he's alone. And think of how I do the same thing. Think of how you do the same thing. Think about all the times that we deny the words of Christ. How many times has pride and overconfidence got us into trouble? We forget like Peter. We forget scriptures like uh, Proverbs 16, 18. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. You know, we, we ask that question out on our face. Do you feel like things are blowing up around you? Feel like things are falling apart? The question I have to ask myself when this starts to happen is I have to say, has pride and overconfidence, his self-reliance opened a door for Satan to sift me? Now, don't get me wrong. Again, Peter, he was so sincere as he was rejecting the very words of Christ. He genuinely believed, he genuinely believed he had what it took to withstand the severe sifting. But you know what? Being genuine is not enough. Having a lot of zeal is not enough. Peter was overconfident. And he couldn't even hear someone trying to warn him. Not even the Son of God. And I know I've been there. I think that's where we could be right now. When we isolate ourselves, we we don't reach out for help. We don't want to hear any of the warnings. We just want to do our thing. And I know I'm not the only one who can identify with this. Because I know... I know that when I get really thick-headed and I reject warnings from the Lord like Simon did, if I do it long enough, humiliation comes. You know, after Simon in his overconfidence tells Jesus that he's wrong in so many words, Jesus calls him out in the most direct and probably humiliating way. He 
tells Peter in front of everyone, as plain as can be, that he's, you're going to deny knowing me at all. Luke twenty two thirty four. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Satan was going to sift Peter in the most severe and humiliating way. And Peter had no idea that pride was opening the door to one of his greatest failures in life. Peter was going to experience a very public humiliation due to his overconfidence. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him, but, but what would have happened like, what would have happened if Peter would have just heard the warning of Jesus and quietly humbled himself? What would have happened if he would have just quietly humbled himself and, and then, you know, prayed or asked for strength? Help me. Lord, help me. Father, Abba, help me. Instead of relying on his own strength, I'm going to do this. I got this. Don't you worry about it. I wonder if Jesus would have had to say the words in front of all the disciples. You, Peter, going to deny that you even know me. You know, when it comes to our own sifting, I believe we have choices. I think we can stay in overconfidence, pride, or self-reliance, moving away from God, away from God's people. Or I think we can walk out in humility, drawing near to God, reaching out to the, to the very family that God has placed you in. That's what the psalm says, that God places the lonely in families. And whether you felt lonely or not, God has put you here. We're your family. And you know what? There are no perfect people here. None. I know I'm not one. But here's what we have. We have caring people here. We have people who by faith and by grace are, are, are believing God to do miraculous things. That's what we have here. We have God living inside of us and us doing the best we know how. The, the faith that we've got and the grace that God has given us. I don't think our personal sifting has to be a public one. I think we can choose to repent and quickly and, and, and run into the arms of God and the help that he has. When sifting comes in our lives, the quickest way out, the quickest way out, I believe, is to humble ourselves in the fear of the Lord. Now, I want to go back to a verse that I skipped. And I wanted to save this for last because I want to end with some good hope. You see, Jesus knew that Satan, in his sifting, wanted to not only humiliate and hurt the disciples, Satan wanted to destroy the faith of the disciples like he did with Judas. That was the goal. That's why Jesus says in verse 32 of 20, Luke 22, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again strengthen your brothers now notice what jesus didn't say see jesus did not say peter i'm praying against this sifting i'm i am asking the father to spare you from this hellish night those words are not in there. Jesus said he was praying for one thing only. That 
that their faith, the, the faith of the disciples, Peter and all of them, he prayed one prayer. I am praying that your faith will not fail. Jesus prayed for faith, not removal of the test. He knew Peter was going to fail. Otherwise, there will be no need for him to tell Peter to, when he, after he's turned back. Jesus was so confident. He was confident of this turning back. He knew that after having faced this trial, Peter would, would, would eventually come back. He would turn and return, and then he would strengthen his brothers. In fact, and I encourage you to do this, now that you know this context of, of what happened with Peter, the whole book of, the, of 1 Peter, it's an entire letter written for encouragement to believers who are facing trials and going through all kinds of garbage. His first letter. Peter became the source of strength to many people who needed it. You know what Jesus is praying for us right now? He's praying for our faith. He is praying for our faith. Everything we're going through right now is to be, and it's going to be, a testimony of your faith in Jesus. Do you believe that? Everything. Your financial problems, they're going to be a testimony of faith in Christ. Your marriage problems, they're going to be a testimony of faith in Christ. Your health problem is going to be a testimony. Why? Because Jesus is praying for us. Yes. You know, five years ago, in the fall, we went through a similar season that we are going through right now. Five years ago, we had a Jezebel spirit working in our church seeking to rip our church apart. And some people left because of that spirit's influence. We lost people. Our attendance went down, kind of like it's been recently here. Our ties went down, kind of like it's recently been here. People were sick. They were losing their health. Five years ago, in the fall, this young man lost his legs. Joel Haler, paralyzed from the waist down. I remember the day we were in a staff meeting yet again. And the phone rings and Eric says, I have to go, Joel can't walk. Five years ago in the fall, he lost his ability to walk and was paralyzed from the waist down. Here we are five years later. Hmm. How weird. Attendance down, tied down, and another hailer is under a physical attack. We couldn't figure out for the life of us what was going on. The enemy's overplaying his hand, if, we, if you haven't noticed. I mean, sometimes things are so similar that's stupid. And you know what? Just like then, we had a breakthrough. We had a massive breakthrough. January 23rd, praise God, this guy got up, act, acted like he had never had a problem in his life. Amen. Amen. Praise God, we had breakthrough. What we are going through right now, I believe, is similar to what happened five years ago. And I'm not calling it coincidence. That's dumb. We are being sifted by the permission of God 
And just like we had five years ago, we are going to have another breakthrough. Because Christ is praying for us. Christ is praying for us. I mean, after that terrible fall five years ago, God sent us new people after that. God sent us more financial resources. God brought us uh, a wave of blessing in the form of godly men and women who wanted to see the kingdom advance and said yes to this mission. How can I be a part of what's going on here now? God is going to do it again. He is going to do it again. But we are not yet ready for all the high fives. The self-gratitude, the pats on the back, the attaboys. Because there are still people struggling right now. There are still people pulling away. There are still people who are giving up under this severe trial and testing. And so what I believe, we are in a season of responding. And I think we can get ahead of the game on this one. It is a season and a time right now for repentance. We must do as Peter and turn back again to our relationships with each other and with our relationship with the Lord. It is a time for going to people and asking for forgiveness. It is a time of healing relationships with God. I know we get angry with Him. I've done it. We pull away. We get distant. Now is the time to draw near. It's time to draw nearer to Him than you've ever drawn. It is time to draw near to the people that you've been pulling away from. This is a season to worship and praise God in the midst of our suffering. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so my plea today, my plea, my begging, is to not let shame or pride get in the way of God's miracle for your life. 